This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A lot of the studies that I read for the book were about the interplay of women and anger. And it all said that because we don't tend to have like that little steam valve that lets out like a little bit every day, we tend to like wait until the lid blows off and then blow up. Yeah. Usually it's like not the thing we're actually upset about. But you've had that catharsis of having shouting for him or you've stormed out of the of the house. And as soon as you have that catharsis, you then feel guilty and like you've got it wrong. Because I suppose technically you have got it wrong, but you've been pushed to that point. Welcome to Women Are Mad, where we invite women to bring their anger into everyday conversation. I'm Selima Saxton, I'm an actress and writer. I'm Jennifer Cox and I'm a psychotherapist. We noticed that anger is the one emotion that women aren't allowed to openly express. Meanwhile, everything around us is making us absolutely furious. We're all feeling it. Let's get together to work out what to do with it. So, Salima, what's made you angry this week? When I told you something that made me sound about six, it didn't, did it make me angry? It made me shame full and I'm angry at myself about this right yeah do you want to do you want to tell our dear <laughs> listeners what what you did <laughs> yeah so um I, I I've, I've just started eavesdropping on my husband's phone calls sometimes uh, particularly when it's about work I want to know what he's doing and I found myself listening at the door of the study to see what was happening and then mm-hmm. I got and then basically I heard something totally took it out of context and it was completely wrong and everything was totally Fag and Lil. Fag, what's Fag and Lil? I don't know, really know, but I think that's what it means. <laughs> I like that you throw these phrases out and you're like, but I don't know what they mean. Anyway, it sounds good. Yeah, so Fag and Lil. Yeah, the fag mm. ends of a conversation, right? Yeah. And look, this is learnt behaviour of mine from my childhood where I listened at doors in a hypervigilant way to mm. check the temperature of rooms. And I don't mean Celsius. No. Um, so Who do you think? Because I think this mm. whole point about hypervigilance is really interesting because, of course, it's designed in an evolutionary way to protect mm. us. And it, it's mm. like a safety behavior, isn't it? You'd think, oh, mm. yeah, that's sensible. Let me read the room. Let me let me work out what maybe I need to do to uh, moderate the behaviors of other people as I go into it. I mean, it's all shocking, even as, you, as, I'm, as I'm saying it. it it's awful. Of course, it's never going to work or no. be of real use. Yeah, but I, I, it's definitely um, something that I did so much of as a child. And as a child, I just thought that was a really useful way of controlling the dynamics in my family. It's so sad, isn't it's so it? so sad, yeah. yeah. Um, and so when I'm feeling wobbly myself, you know, January and kind of 
wondering about you know and then my oh god I was I'm so sorry I won't keep mentioning the fact that my dad died in November but you know he died he died in November um so I I think when I'm feeling a bit wobbly I go to these old patterns of childhood Mm -hmm. one of them is kind of half listening to try and ascertain um what's going on it's just really and, and also, can I just say what you what you text back to me, which was brilliant. <laughs> you text back. This has this behavior has no place in your adult life. <laughs> I'm very strict. I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay, back away from the door, Salima. Um, yeah, yeah. So thank you for that because I was like, I think you even wrote it in capitals. Yeah, that that's yeah. my pleasure. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and now I'm going to introduce our guest for today. Our guest today is a journalist and author. Her revolutionary book, The Power of Rude, is a Bible for anyone attempting to challenge their freeze reflex. Going head to head on live TV with the likes of Piers Morgan shows her capacity to put her money where her mouth is. Please welcome the courageous Rebecca Reed. Let's launch in, Rebecca, but could you please tell us what makes you angry? Oh, I mean, the list is long. <laughs> Great. <laughs> We're braced. Um, I think the majority of the things that make me really angry are me or my fault. I'm very intolerant of, like, forgetting things, getting things wrong, being late. Those make me incredibly angry. And also, I think I find myself, any anything that I feel like is confining me, so traffic or buses not turning up or forgetting something anything that makes me feel like I'm not able to get somewhere um and then I think nearly probably all of the things that are incredibly unfair about being a mum and having a baby and quite mm. um, my, my and I obviously um sorry not obviously but I have a one-year-old um and previous to having her I think I sort of knew that the status quo wasn't great for women but I didn't know how bad it was I didn't know that basically the whole of the tube network is unusable with a pram um, oh yes and, and that you will spend so much like infinite amounts of money on on childcare, which will often close or you can't use if they're ill and you still pay for holidays and the people running the and the people running these places don't even make good money themselves mm. um that's that's my newest bugbear on on anger um and i think in terms of small things um probably anytime somebody takes a cold diet coke out of my fridge and doesn't bring <laughs> that coke back in i think it's a hate crime how dare they well that is that's vicious <laughs> it's, it's cruel it's so true about the tube though isn't it i think um what was also really vile in that in those years for me was how you try and get one of the people that you know were at the gates to maybe give you a hand down the steps or whatever and they just go oh sorry love sorry love health and safety can't do it (laughs) i was at clapham junction on wednesday and i got to the i got to the gate and he said oh where are you trying to go and i said lewis and he went oh and i thought he was gonna say the train was cancelled he went there's no way you're gonna get the pram up those steps there's no lift and i was like gosh between us we think of any way that i might (laughs) well done steps and he was like oh love i can't help you just have to hope someone will and actually in my experience no i've never had to wait more than about 30 seconds for somebody i like it often a woman funny. actually i found it's usually I, I like men a lot more since i had a baby oh, <laughs> oh that's good maybe they've changed um yeah okay. i think maybe they've changed or also i mean i do dress fairly provocatively now so <laughs> okay. okay that's very interesting what post having children uh, post being single. Post being single, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Great. <laughs> All of my clothes were sort of nice Mormon tents, and now I now I have to date again. I had to try and find something that showed either my wrists or my ankles at one point. Otherwise, you know, not really advertising. 
Um, I'd love to bring this closely to your brilliant book that as as Rebecca knows, I ended up giving somebody on the tube because she saw me shed a little tear at the end of it and we got into a discussion about assertion and rudeness and I passed it on. I've told Rebecca this already. So Rebecca, there was a sentence in your book. Um, I'm going to read it out actually so I get it right. My desire not to be rude made me the absolute worst version of myself, which I love. So just in your quest to, well, redefine rudeness, I suppose, or to assert anyway, how do you express yourself when it comes to conflict or in, or in anger? So I think what I spent a lot of time trying to do before was like put my feelings through a sort of Google Translate mm-hmm. so that I could come up with like a confusing euphemistic statement which would convey what I wanted to say without actually ever having to say it in a sort of like Jane Austen comedy of manners yes. format and I realised that actually that's it's, it does everyone an enormous disservice because it's tiring it's emotional labour trying to work out what someone's actually trying to say and also then it leads it leads you to bad habits where you know I'd be having an argument with my best friend and I would use full stops at the end of every sentence on whatsapp in, in order to convey my displeasure <laughs> rather than saying Stephanie you're not replying yesterday really pissed me off it's an easy it, like it's so much easier to be direct and it's actually less rude to be direct um if you're talking depending on what kind of rudeness you're talking about so I've stripped I've really tried to strip away that sense of like euphemism and sort of it's almost like double entendre this pretense mm-hmm. you think you're not feeling a certain way and and be really really trans being really transparent and like at the moment I've got a writing partner who I love working with he's brilliant but he's so avoidant about committing to plans oh I really really uh, and initially, we hate this we hate this and I used mm. to be quite like um okay well look maybe next week we should talk about and now I'm just like I will be at the cafe on Tuesday at 4 p.m and if you're not there I'm going to be furious so like if you don't want right. to fight and I think there's a and I think there's a levity to it and there's a lightness to it but the point still stands it's not trying to like reshape your whole personality and communication to try and avoid provoking events and also I noticed in your book that um, humour really features so strongly. And actually, well, your writing style in that is so is brilliantly humorous. But that's what I love about it, because you really showed us how to be direct, ask for what we want, be rude in inverted commas, but not resort to, well, what I have often resorted to in the past, which is a fawning state or a people-pleasing yeah. state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, which is why I think that there's, your book is particularly good for people like me who have defaulted to that in the past. Um, what are the four, what is it? Fawning, fighting, flighting, or freezing, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And I've definitely always gone to fawning in the past. So, I, I, but I really, I get that. And, you know, obviously I wrote the book, but I'm, I don't get it right all the time. Mm-hmm. And my tendency still, which I have to fight against, is to really feel my anger and then really convey it but then not have the kind of like chutzpah to, book it, to back it up. So after, so within half an hour, then be like, I'm so sorry, that was too much, that was too far, even if it wasn't, and I was actually being really reasonable. Um, mm. And I think there's, there's there's two levels of confidence you need to be able to kind of use mm, your confidence way. You've got to yeah. deliver it, and then you've got to stand by it. And that's- Yeah, and not kind of backtrack. Exactly, and backtracking mm. is so tempting because you get, I think for me, a lot of the studies that I read for the book were about the interplay of women and anger and it all said that because we don't tend to have like that little steam valve that lets out 
like a little bit every day we tend to like wait until the lid blows off and then blow up usually something not the thing we're actually upset about but you've had that catharsis of having shouting fit or you know you've you know thrown a horse across the room or you've stormed out of the of the house whatever you've done and then and as soon as you have that catharsis you then feel guilty and like you've got it wrong because I suppose technically you have got it wrong but you've been pushed to that point it's generally speaking not your fault so I think it's about learning to stand by your anger but part of that is delivering it in a way that doesn't give you that immediate sense of like okay it's gone now um because that's a false security that means you don't deal with the real problem well, I was just going to say about this point that for me is so crucial, which is the identifying the anger in the first place, because I just think women are not great at it. I mean, we're not taught how to do it. We don't have a vocabulary for it. It's not encouraged. It's it's so we're sort of really swimming against the tide, even just trying to locate it in ourselves as a feeling so i think that's a for me a major part of you know the importance of your book actually and also taking up the space right is okay to take up that kind of space and then as you quite rightly say rebecca not shrink afterwards and kind of like vacuum clean that space up afterwards and go sorry sorry made a mess you know, yeah. like, yeah. that is, I, I had a friend who I can't remember what it was that she did. I think she was having a really, really, really rough time, and she and she sort of threw a pot of like spaghetti bolognese on the floor, and she had been provoked like for hours and hours and hours, and it was entirely not her fault. And then, of course, she spent the whole evening cleaning it up. And <sighs> but that that so the coming sorry, I'm going to say this so many times. Coming back to your book, but coming back to your book, Rebecca. Um, if one does follow a lot of that advice, which is standing your ground in many different situations, be that medical, my gynecologist, for example, the hairdressers paying for the hen weekend, that was one that really resonated with me. Um, I, I can really see how it not it no longer becomes, yeah, a death by a hundred thousand cuts. If one just shows up for oneself constantly, forgetting bolognese moment, it becomes far less likely, right? Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, you're not you're not driven to it. And that it's a muscle and the more you use it, the better mm. you get at using it. And it's a skill and all of those things. So it's practice. And then you learn to pick your battles and you don't you're not con- you know, you're not waiting for breaking point all the time. It's so true. Because I think Salima and I definitely are completely obsessed with honest you know honesty and friendships and just being able to firstly identify the feeling and then secondly just name it in the here and now and not let it build and and also not feel shame for having a feeling yeah. and and not feel and not assume that the other person is going to really badly react to it yeah and the funny thing about that is that we've kind of come out through the other side but it's still the same problem so now there's this sort of hypertherapized way that some people communicate where they sort of there's messages where you say like are you in a position to receive some information that maybe is distressing to you and it's oh. a very hyper american therapized way of talking which is actually the exact same thing it's it's dressed up as more or less but it's not and in reality like my university friendship group with a policy that if you're too hungover to turn up for something we started this obviously when we were young and fun um it's you can always not come if you've got a hangover but you can't lie about it you have to say i'm hung- yeah. i'm I'm hungover and that's why I'm not coming. Oh, nice. And I think it's setting that culture of of honesty and expectation and transparency and that culture where you say the the way that you spoke to me the other day really made me angry Mm -hmm. rather than waiting and waiting and waiting and then sending a nine paragraph WhatsApp. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. all being ghosted as well. That's another Yeah, exactly. Just kind of leaving Mm -hmm. somebody hanging because you can't bear them anymore. Which is easy done. But but also, you know, that's fair enough if you can no longer bear somebody, but it shouldn't get to that point. It should be a conversation that you kind of gradually have. We we can just say, like, what on earth are you doing? 
yeah and also i think the ghosting thing is complicated but i think there's a social contract that we all have and i would expect that if i had a relationship of any description with somebody that i would be able to afford to send them a couple of lines of a message mm-hmm. and i think again this is ghosting is a good example of a phobia of rudeness and a phobia of anger mm-hmm. pushing you to bad behavior because it makes you avoidant rather than doing the grown-up thing and saying this isn't working for me anymore mm-hmm. you just run away and that's actually much worse it makes you almost as bad as the person you're trying to run away from and also uh, as someone who has been ghosted actually the you know one then feels quite mad because there is no conversation about it and then you know I've definitely exhibited some kind of seemingly unhinged behaviors because I was just kind of so bewildered that's because I was Mm. you know looking into space going what where are well it's sad to be robbed of the opportunity to kind of work on yourself and work on the friendship yeah you know you can get yourselves to a really different place actually when you really sit and do that and if they don't want to do that then that's totally fine too but then i think you've been robbed of the opportunity to know what like you know to at least take some some information into it and also i don't there's just something horrible about having information withheld from you i hate it Mm -hmm. i got my um one of my best friends dumped me many many years ago and i think she probably had a point like actually i think i was i think i was the problem um but it took years and i would like i still check her twitter every now and again like I've never... what, and that was just a ghosted she walked you never had why they were supposed to be i mean i sort of know why um i was slacking her off to another friend and somebody videoed it and sent it to her so like that i, I understand why my criticisms were fair but i shouldn't have been saying about them about her behind her back i was also in my defense i was like 23 at the time yeah um, who the hell sent her that i, I know and weirdly she stayed friends with the person who did the video sending who I think arguably is the bigger villain. But yeah, is that, a, is that a kind of flying monkey narcissist type thing? Yes, very much yeah. so. But yeah. she she was she just blocked me on all platforms and we never talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I would really like to have apologized, like properly apologize mm-hmm. the person. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but also I often think with relationships, be they um, you know, partnerships, lovers, friendships, whatever. If you have had love for one another at any point, then surely there has to be some kind of recognition. There is a kind of straightforward, um, rude, in in your face conversation to be had Uh right where we all assert ourselves and say how we feel and then we have to hug and all that honors the time and the investment you've put into that relationship exactly surely it deserves that doesn't it yeah and i think in all breakups friendship platonic or or otherwise it's exactly that it's saying i know i hate you right now but there was a time where i did love you and i'm going to act like that version of myself not the version of myself that i feel like today because Mm -hmm. i know that the version of me who was obsessed with you and wanted to be around you all the time would want me to behave this way yes this is it i um it's funny actually that going back to when you said that you just never heard properly back from the the former best friend we've said haven't we about how horrible it is um to just not know to not not be told to not hear it's a really really um uncomfortable state for a human i think like you know we just want the the news essentially you know even if it's hard to take we'd rather know yeah mm-hmm. and i think i all, all of my sort of worst issues of anxiety have all been based around not knowing not understanding not feeling like i had all the pieces of the jigsaw and filling yeah. in the gaps yeah. in kind of crazy ways yourself and your brain will your brain will always find the meanest possible explanation for yeah, of course it will mm. and i think that is but it's it's amazing how much we'll punish each other to try and avoid making each other angry 
Right. Ooh. Oh, that's a very good point. That's powerful. Deep. We'll, 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 we'll avoid that, but also to avoid thinking of ourselves as angry people as well, right? Yeah, so not not even for the other person. I think it can be for ourselves because, because we as women perhaps might sometimes like to think of ourselves as calm and considered and compassionate. Yeah, so we will not be angry and have an uncomfortable conversation where you might make me inflamed or furious or say something I might regret. I will just smile sweetly and keep walking because we can't way. sit with that part of ourselves that angry part of ourselves because it's messy isn't it and ugly yeah, and the, the, a lot of the research i did it was about um why women are more gossipy and more likely to talk behind each other's backs mm. um, and why that sort of semi-sexist stereotype is true and the research also also said basically because women particularly teenage girls are not encouraged to have any kind of physical outlets broadly mm. speaking generally but also you know they don't fight we don't they don't play contact sports they tend to look for it mentally and emotionally direct aggression exactly yeah. and that yeah. is and, it's, and then it sets a pattern for the rest of your life because you know oh. arguably we're just as hormonal as boys just in different in a slightly different way and we're in the same pressure cooker of emotions mm-hmm. we, we, we need outlets for our physical um strength and frustration and we probably do need to be able to fight a little bit with each other because that's sort of yes Uh Um, But in reality, what happens is, yeah, you just say, oh, my God, did you see that she thought she was somebody who could wear denim shorts? That is not what her father said. That that kind of stuff is brutal. And also the the recognition that we are not all Mary Poppins or full of sugar and spice, that we are complicated, contradictory creatures who can act appallingly. And then you can say, Selima, you've acted appallingly and even really awful. Or or also often you're living in the graveyard of of other problems. So right. your behaviour on Tuesday is actually about something that happened in November and then the yeah. thing that happened in November is actually about something that happened in sick form and you never properly resolve any of these things because you never really get angry and clear the air. Yes, it just angry. aggregates up, mm. builds yeah. and builds. Just, yeah, layering on layering. Rebecca, can you tell us about your angriest moment? Is that possible? Are there um, too many of them? or was there a phase in your life you know well I think I am quite an angry person um I do I feel things very deeply and and very strongly Uh, I think the other day I had one where I um and it's it's fairly illogical but I was waiting at the bus stop and I find um I find parenting a challenge I I adore my daughter but I'm not one of life's like natural give me nine babies and I want to move to a cottage kind of people and I needed to be somewhere and um the bus arrived and there were already two prams on the bus and the bus driver just like shook his head and drove off and I was just like so earth shatteringly furious with the universe that the world exists where women literally cannot take transport because of having a baby and there was just something like about the and it wasn't his fault obviously and it's a horrible job and I shouldn't be angry with him but I was just like from the bottom of my heart fuck you like this is (laughs) I just needed to get on your bus um and I think those I have had those sort of abject moments, um, particularly. Th- but what I'm really gratified by, and it's complete luck, is that I've had friends who've had postpartum anger issues where they found it really hard not to be angry with their baby. And I've mm-hmm. just through luck, not through anything I've done. It's funny that the, the one person I never get angry with is my daughter, and I don't have I've never felt angry with her ever. Um, I feel angry with myself a lot of the time for getting things wrong. But I don't ever feel angry with her. And I think that's a real gift because um, I know a lot of women really struggle with it. And there's so much stigma around postpartum anger. Mm. Mm. 
But it's interesting, isn't it? Even with that example, you can see how the capacity for it to be displaced onto the baby, like how essentially it's to do with the universe, it's to do with shit treatment and basically how hard it is to be a mom in this world. It's really easy to see how it could be located in the baby. And I, and I, I, I completely understand it. And I think I've got quite a lot of friends whose mums lost their careers through having children mm. and who've never been able to totally untangle those two things and uh, a little still a little bit angry with their daughters for of course but also you know we, we were talking before we started recording about you know the the shifts between you know pre-children and children it's so vital that we all speak as openly as we possibly can once yeah. we've had children or it doesn't have to be to many people but even just to like your sister or your cousin or your your best friend who's having a baby and just to set just to say just to say it to yeah. say to say that yeah if you're going to be up all night with your baby yeah you might not be you might not be able to concentrate on a meeting in the morning like you thought you were going to be going to it's not awful to feel angry that you that you can't concentrate yeah. it's not awful to feel these things it's the honesty it's the honesty again, it's finding those it? people it's around vital. you yeah. and I've always because I you know I went back to work after six weeks and I you know was back being a columnist for broadsheet within eight weeks I was on television seven weeks after she was born but oh. I formula fed I had a, a um planned section I had a night nanny two nights a week mm. um and 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 because I'm a single parent I think people sometimes look at the, at the at how I manage things mm. and it looks like I've really got my shit together but the reality is I have incredibly supportive parents and siblings um and all of that infrastructure and have had childcare since she was some childcare at least since she was six weeks old that's why I can do those things right and it's been tempting I'm not gonna lie to have pretended that she was an amazing sleeper because I was just so good at breastfeeding not because she was mainlining the aptamil like it would have been tempting to clawed back some dignity and been like yeah she just always sleeps 14 hours and like you know she's just really happy playing on the field but look if you'd done that you'd have located something in those women your own sense of inferiority or something back in them and so you broke that and for that I think we should be grateful yeah on behalf of womankind thank you for doing that seriously Rebecca thank you so much for coming to talk to us we really thank appreciate it it's been brilliant actually magical mm. thank you guys thank you so much great fun. when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it was really refreshing talking to Rebecca and hearing about everything that she obviously spent so long with in terms of the research for that book and in terms of thinking in her own life about what she needed to change. I think particularly this point about telling friends that you're angry with them or that you don't like something they've done, um, that you want to try to do things differently in the relationship. This is this is all a 
brand new landscape, I'd say, for most yes, and, women. And, and the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay, it used to be the stuff of nightmares for me, but now I am increasingly strict about who my friends actually are or yeah. my close pals i think i would say all of my close pals i can do that with now i would agree i think for both of us our circles have shrunk to such a tiny safe (laughs) size yeah (laughs) that basically includes each other yes (laughs) and and just a sort of horde of trusted confidence yeah and also look i'm a lot more hierarchical about friendships in that way Mm. in um and i think all my friends will appreciate this because um they possibly didn't want me in their inner circle either Mm. i was just kind of bulging my way in so i am very clear now as to who these few are so don't ever leave me i'll die (laughs) (laughs) but you know no, exactly. No that but, is um, the scary thing about it is because you become very, very dependent, obviously, on on the chosen, yeah, the chosen one. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, but look, I think it's a. It becomes you just get a lot more clarity, don't you? Because I know I can go to you, for example. I really don't agree. I don't like that. You were really weird then. Why did you do that? Am I being an idiot? Should I do this? Was I awful to you last week? And I know you'll go, yeah, you were a real dick. What were you doing? <laughs> and I feel safe enough to let you tell me I'm a dick mm. as well. Well, also, I think we've been able to do that so much now that it's it's quite exciting because I always think, oh, where is it going to lead us to because we know that we get to much more interesting creative places yes if you say what are you doing yeah and then I'm like oh my god yeah what was I doing good point thank you okay I'll try again yeah so it saves so much time oh god yeah that's the main thing it's just saves so much much time you know yeah Yeah. you you sort of save in one sense but also you you allow yourselves this whole new universe that can be filled and filled and filled with really productive potential stuff yeah yeah and also look the quicker you find out you're not doing something well or you've you've misunderstood something or you've upset somebody the quicker you can rectify it's the whole you know my thoughts on this the whole ghosting mysterious you know pass ag kind of behaviors you know that i have sent me mad in the past i've just thought but just tell me tell me yeah. Am I am I all you know, have I have I behaved terribly? Okay, then tell me. So it is in a way, in terms of like recommending to other people that this happens for them, choosing mm. those people that they feel so comfortable with, maybe it's because about safety. Yeah. And and I suppose testing out, you know, can can yeah. this friendship take it? And you really yeah. I suppose you don't know until you try. Yeah, and you just have to keep trying, you have to keep leaping and keep being brave. Mm. And then believe what you see isn't it that's that old adage you Mm. see it you feel that they can't or they just don't want to with you which Mm. look is fair enough you're not for everybody I'm not for everybody Mm. and the sooner we know that the better that's right and that's your evidence then these are your people or these are not your people yeah yeah and like no hard feelings right no hard feelings we're not for one another that's okay yeah right 
And I guess if there are lingering um, issues with that, then that's you take that somewhere. You go and figure that out. Like to, yeah, to keep throwing it back on that person. I hate them. Fair. They let me down or they're responsible yeah. for something bad for me. Um, that's not really useful it's to not anyone. Really them. It's not really them either. Mm. Indeed. Uh, onwards and upwards. Indeed. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you for listening and sharing in our anger. And remember, you're not mad to feel mad. Please like and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.